0: Welcome to Shipwreck Sunday, where we investigate disasters at sea and the impact that they have on the world today. My name is Eleanor, and here with me is my co host Eric. Hello. Today we will be exploring the collision and sinking of HMS Victoria. Before we dive in, we must inform you this story does include details of a maritime disaster resulting in the sinking of a vessel and death that may be disturbing to some audiences. Your discretion is advised.
1: Please note before we begin that neither Eleanor nor I are mariners or experts in the field of maritime history, but we have done our research and will present the information as we understand it and with accurate nautical terminology. In today's episode, much of the information comes from secondhand sources, so please keep that in mind. Before we get started, we will go over the basics of nautical terminology. The bow is the very front part of the ship, and the very back end of it is called the stern. The port side is the left, and the starboard side is the right. Propellers are sometimes referred to as screws. The hull is the metal sides of the ship. The keel is the very bottom of it. And the superstructure is the top deck, usually made of wood. Smokestacks, or funnels, are large tunnels on top of the ship used to direct steam and smoke away from the deck. Masts are large wooden poles on the deck of the ship, usually used to hoist sails or hold a crow's nest where crew members can see for miles around the vessel. Beam is a measurement that refers to the width of the ship.
0: Thank you, Derek. Today we start our story in 1880s Ellswick, Newcastle, in England at the Armstrong, Mitchell, and Company shipyard. At the time, the shipping industry was undergoing huge innovations and in quickly developing better and better ship designs. This includes ships known as ironclads, which are seam ships with steel or ironclad hulls. Renown, later renamed HMS Victoria in honor of Queen Victoria's Golden Jubilee, was one of these ironclads. Her keel was laid June 13, 1885, and she would become a formidable battleship. At the time of her being built, she was the largest and fastest, equipped with the biggest guns and also the first battleship to be equipped with triple expansion steam engines. These enormous triple expansion steam engines were built by Humphreys Tennant and Company of Deptford and produced between 7,500 and 12,000 horsepower, powering twin screws. HMS Victoria was also the first ship of her time to have a steam turbine, which is a machine that extracts thermal energy from steam. This steam turbine would be used to run a dynamo, which is a large electrical generator. HMS Victoria was a 340 feet in length and had a 70-foot beam weighing in at a whopping 11,200 gross registered tons due to her armaments and armor. She was capable of reaching speeds of up to 16 knots, roughly 18 miles per hour. She was launched on April 9th of 1887. A highly detailed model of the impressive Royal Navy battleship was presented at the Royal Navy Exhibition in 1892, and another made entirely of pure silver was given to Queen Victoria by officers of both the Royal Navy and Royal Marines. She was quite impressive, but due to compromises having to be made in her design, she was less successful in service than other battleships in comparison. Despite this, HMS Victoria and her sister ship, Sans Perel, were beloved and received the nickname of the Pair of Slippers. HMS Victoria sometimes being referred to the Slipper when on her own. This was due to the build of her forecastle in relation to the aft deck, making her appear like a slipper on the water.
1: Due to some of the awkward designs of the forecastle and aft decks, there were issues with her armaments, or the guns she toted foreign ships were clad with 413mm guns, and so the design was copied over to HMS Victoria on her forward decks. However, the slipper's design made it impossible for guns of similar capacity to be housed on the aft decks. Instead, the aft deck's weaponry was reduced to a 250mm gun, protected by a gun shield. However, because of this clunky design, HMS Victoria would only be able to fire her main guns sideways or forward, and it was found if her guns were fired directly forward that the recoil buckled the deck. The gun barrels were so heavy that they drooped when installed, and wear and tear would become dangerous if more than 75 rounds were fired at one time, as the guns heated up and increased the drooping. If HMS Victoria were to find herself in a firefight, this could prove to be a real problem.
0: In March of 1890, HMS Victoria was commissioned for the first time by Captain J.E. Stokes. He took the ship to the Mediterranean, where this crew and the crew of the Camperdown swapped ships, changing the captain of HMS Victoria to Captain J.C. Burnell. The ship became the flagship of the Mediterranean Squadron and was commanded by Vice Admiral Sir Anthony Hoskins. By 1891, Sir George Tryon then succeeded as the new fleet commander, and HMS Victoria received another new captain, Captain Maurice Burke. The rest of 1891 was uneventful for HMS Victoria, although soon a dark stain would make her bright future bleaker. On January 29, 1892, HMS Victoria ran aground at Snipe Point on the Greek coast. The nearby town of Plataea had been chosen as a friendly port for the British Navy to use as a base for the regular exercises where they practiced the usage of torpedoes and sea mines. Torpedoes were launched from fast-moving ships in battle situations. However, they were launched from slowed or stalled ships in shallow waters in order to retrieve the torpedoes fired off during practice. Torpedoes were recovered after fired as they typically floated when the mortars stopped running, however, sometimes they would sink and were not recovered. It was normal for there to be many British ships there, as the Mediterranean fleet would return to this base each winter for these rehearsals. Captain Burke knew the dangers of maneuvering his battleship in these shallow waters, and had earlier that day informed a crew to place buoys by the shallowest points in the water. Unfortunately, the crew of HMS Victoria missed the shallowest point and grounded on the rocky shoal while approaching at nine knots.
1: HMS Victoria was immediately stuck after grounding, and the bow of the ship was driven up on the shoal seven feet higher than normal. The ship's keel was damaged, and in total, three watertight compartments were flooded. Luckily though, the stern section still remained in 66 feet of water leaving the ship somewhat maneuverable. Admiral Tryon was informed immediately, and although he was probably displeased, he departed for the scene about the surprise, taking along with him the dockyard tug Samson, equipped with pumps and hawsers. Hawsers are thick ropes or cables used for mooring or towing ships.
0: Hecla, a torpedo depot ship, was already on the scene in Plataea and made two futile attempts to rescue HMS Victoria. After these attempts failed, they helped anchor the stern section of the stranded vessel to keep her steady until help arrived. Five other ships were called to the scene for assistance. Phaeton, Edinburgh, Dreadnought, Scout, and Humber. In order to move Victoria, she had to offload a lot of weight, 1,270 tons in total, with 483 tons of that being from the coal reserves. This weight was dumped overboard, and the leaks in the hull of the ship were patched by the creation of temporary bulkheads using wood and Portland cement to block the holes. After the weight was dumped and the holes were plugged, Victoria was ready to be moved. Edinburgh and Dreadnought attached hawsers to the stern of the Victoria and pulled back on the ship, with Samson pulling in full reverse and Victoria's engines ran full astern to free the vessel. She was successfully freed and was refloated on February 4th of 1892, being sent straight to the Hamilton Dock in Malta for much-needed repairs and dry dock. For anyone who isn't aware, dry docking is the act of docking a ship and draining the water so that the ship can be repaired or remodeled. The repairs in the torn hull were completed in time for the summer fleet cruise in May that HMS Victoria participated in.
1: On June 22, 1893, 11 ironclads of the British Mediterranean Fleet were in the midst of their annual summer exercises off Tripoli in Lebanon. The fleet Frequented these seas because the Royal Navy saw the Mediterranean as a vital sea route between Great Britain and India And they saw the French and Italian navies as rivals in these routes So they made sure to make regular rounds in the sea lanes to protect their dominance in the area
0: The Sun never sets on the British Empire really does ring true here.
1: Yes, it does. (laughs)
0: During these summer jaunts, Admiral Tryon was in charge of the fleet and their movements, and he was quite the strict disciplinarian who believed continued fleet evolutions was the best way to keep his crews efficient. Remember, this is 1893. This is before Marconi wireless was used on ships, so the only way to communicate between each ironclad was through signal flags and lamps and semaphore, which is a maritime communication system using handheld flags and hand signals. Admiral Tryon was also a very stubborn and difficult man, typically refusing to explain himself or his intentions to accustom his subordinate officers to unpredictable situations.
1: That's pretty irresponsible.
0: Yes it is, and would definitely not slide nowadays.
1: All of these factors led us to the collision. Please be aware, some of what you are about to hear may be graphic or disturbing and viewer discretion is advised. Just a reminder that we are going into the tragic sinking of this vessel and that it won't involve details of death.
0: Thanks for the reminder, Derek. Tryon led a six-ship division of his fleet from the flagship HMS Victoria. His deputy, Rear Admiral Albert Hastings Markham, led the second and smaller division of five ships from the Camperdown, as his usual ship, Trafalgar, was being refitted at the time. Tryon had discussed his plans for anchoring the fleet with some of his officers, which was unusual behavior for him. The two divisions were to make a 180-degree turn inwards in succession, reversing their direction. The officers had observed that 1,200 yards was far too close to make the risky maneuver, and suggested they perform it at least 1,600 yards, preferably at a safer distance of 2,000 yards between each ship. Tryon, ever stubborn, insisted that 1,300 yards was a safe enough distance, and that 1,000 yards was the ideal measurement, and that this was the distance the maneuver would take place. Two officers were very gentle in confirming that they were to make this risky maneuver at 1,000 yards, and Tryon proverbially bit their heads off, as he confirmed that he indeed intended to make this maneuver in the tightest formation possible.
1: I can see this going badly.
0: Oh, Definitely.
1: Unfortunately, this wasn't the only miscalculation. Tryon also had each ship turning at eight knots in an 800-yard diameter turn simultaneously, leaving barely 400 yards of space between each ship. If the ships of each division, which were turning toward one another, turned all at the same time as they were instructed to do, disaster was bound to happen. The officers, although they knew this maneuver was dangerous, did not object whatsoever due to fear of retaliation from Tryon. At 3 p.m., as the ships began to turn toward one another, they realized the gravity of their mistakes too late. HMS Victoria and Camperdown were the first two ships to start the maneuver, Tryon signaling from HMS Victoria to Camperdown to start their turn as HMS Victoria started hers. Markham, at the head of Camperdown, could see the danger and hesitated, delaying his signal flag. Tryon signal to him, what are you waiting for? This embarrassed Markham, who immediately signaled back and gave the order to begin their own turn. The crew of Camperdown had been hoping Markham would make a last-minute change of maneuver, but unfortunately, this would not be the case. It soon became apparent that the ships would strike one another bow to bow, And at the last second, Tryon signaled to Markham, Go astern, go astern. Both captains ordered their respective ship's engines on full reverse, but there was no stopping what happened next.
0: Crash. It was too late. The ram of the camperdown struck the starboard side of HMS Victoria about 12 feet below the waterline. The other ships in the fleet stopped and gawked at the collision of HMS Victoria found herself in the weeds, due to one man's arrogance and incompetence. With the engines in full reverse on both ships, this caused the ram of Camperdown to become dislodged quickly and rapidly increased the flooding of HMS Victoria. This was the worst case scenario for her crew, some of whom were already dead on impact and others scrambling to escape the cascade of water. Victoria closed her watertight doors, and two minutes after the collision, the two ships drifted apart.
1: It was a hot day in late June, so all ventilation shafts and hatches were opened at the time to cool the ship, further hastening the flooding aboard the ship. Now there were too many entrances filled with water to come in instead of merely one point of impact. Although the collision had left a 100-square-foot gash in the side of the ship, Tryon and his navigation officer did not initially think the ship would founder. The damage was all in the bow of the ship and had not affected the engine room or power, so Tryon ordered the damaged vessel to turn toward shore to beach her five miles away. Five minutes after the collision, the bow had already sunk 15 feet and the ship listed heavily to the starboard side. The forecastle had already become submerged leaving the large gun on the foredeck looking like an island in the sea. Although the engine room was not entirely flooding and the engines were still running, water getting in caused the hydraulics to fail and left the ship adrift. She could no longer steer in any direction and there was not enough power to launch the ship's boats.
0: At this point, eight minutes had passed and the entirety of the foredeck was underwater, the sea lapping eagerly at the main deck. If there wasn't panic on board already, surely it set in now as the crew watched the ship rapidly disappearing beneath their feet. The stern rose out of the water, the propellers dripping and gleaming in the hot sun. Captain Bork had gone down to assess the damage in the immediate aftermath of the impact, watching men from below decks get swept away in the current as water rushed in. Others had been trapped behind watertight doors, fearfully pounding on the steel and screaming for someone to save them. However, no one did. After seeing this, Captain Bork returned on deck and gave the evacuation orders. HMS Victoria capsized after 13 minutes, rolling onto her starboard side. Anything not tied down, lifeboats, ammunition, and various other items, went hurtling off the side of the ship as she rolled. Water rushed into the funnels, causing explosions at the boilers below decks as cold water hit the hot steel. With her keel facing the sun, she found her bow first, The stern disappearing shortly after in a flurry of foaming bubbles as water boiled beneath the surface and the metal hull of the ship groaned beneath the waves. Those in the engine room had never received orders to evacuate and most died at their posts. Furniture, guns, and other items launched up with the force that they'd been pulled under striking injured and scared sailors frantically kicking in the stirred up tide. 357 crew members were rescued, and 358 men died aboard HMS Victoria. But what about Camperdown?
1: Camperdown isn't out of the woods yet either. She was taking on water quickly and sustained heavy damage to her bow as well. Her foredeck went under, and it was too late to close her watertight doors as well. Fortunately for them, her crew constructed a cofferdam across the main deck and were able to stop the flooding. A cofferdam is an enclosure that allows water to be pumped out. After 90 minutes, a dive team was able to go in and close a bulkhead door, allowing the ship to limp to Tripoli with seven compartments flooded. The other ships in the fleet had more time to take evasive action, Edinburgh narrowly missing Camperdown from behind and Nile stopping 50 yards away from HMS Victoria. Other than the six bodies recovered immediately after the sinking, no other bodies were able to be recovered and HMS Victoria became a watery grave for her crew. Tryon did not survive and was posthumously criticized by the public for his reckless actions.
0: After the sinking, on July 17, 1893, a court-martial was called on the deck of Hibernia in order to investigate the sinking. Captain Maurice Burke had survived and was called alongside the rest of the surviving crew to appear as prisoners in court. Three sailors were absent from this due to illness after the sinking. The court-martial was held by the newly appointed Admiral of the Mediterranean Fleet, Sir Michael Colm Seymour. He was chosen for the difficult task of restoring confidence of the squadron and as a third party fit to conduct the inquiry. The inquiry was messy, pointing to Tryon possibly mistaking the ship's turning diameters with turning radii, though this wasn't confirmed by Captain Burke. Tryon was also alleged to have said, It was all my fault. It is entirely my doing, entirely my fault, as the ship sank.
1: That's an understatement.
0: Right? Essentially, that is what was found to be true in this very long court-martialing. They went over every detail with a fine-tooth comb, especially since the court marshals had a hard time believing HMS Victoria could have sank so quickly. They didn't believe that at first, and until all of the white eyewitness testimony had been laid out for them. Ultimately, the court produced five findings. One, the collision was due to an order by Admiral Tryon. Two, following the accident, everything that could possibly be done to save the ship and preserve the lives of the crew had been done. Three, no blame was placed on captain burke or any other crew members of the of the hms victoria number four a quote here the court strongly feel that although it is much to be regretted that rear admiral albert h markham did not carry out his first intention of semaphoring to the commander-in-chief his doubts as to the signal It would be fatal to the interests of the service to say that he was to blame for carrying out the directions of the Commander-in-Chief present in person. And finally, five, the court was unable to find why Victoria capsized the way she did. Boiled down in simple terms, it was the ignorance and arrogance of Admiral Tryon that sank the HMS Victoria.
1: HMS Victoria's wreckage was found after a 10-year-long search for it finally being discovered on August 22nd, 2004, in 460 feet of water by two divers, Christian Francis and Mark Elliott. Curiously, she is the one of the only wreckages that sits completely vertically, with her bow buried in the sand and the propellers sticking upward. Few shipwrecks sit in this position, most laying horizontally on the ocean floor. It is believed that HMS Victoria sits this way due to the soft sand in this area of the ocean. The heavy guns on the bow weighing it down and the propellers still spinning as she plummeted, driving the nose of the ship into the soft silt. So Eleanor, what are the repercussions of this?
0: I'm glad you asked. In 1949, Alec Guinness starred in a satire of the events called Kind Hearts and Coronets, where he played an Admiral Lord Horatio Descoyne, Of course, the Admiral makes a bad call with his maneuvers and causes his ship to be rammed and sink, just like the real-life event. Guinness actually later said he based his portrayal of this character off of an officer he knew during his training in World War II. As well as the satire film being created, this event, as well as others like the Holocaust, highlight how following orders blindly and making hasty decisions based upon ego can quite literally put other people's lives in danger. Luckily, communications are better on ships now and drills are done at safe distances. This doesn't eliminate human error in decision making, but definitely lowers the risk of being in a maritime disaster.
1: Thank you for tuning in to Shipwreck Sunday. If you liked this episode and are listening on YouTube, please give us a like, leave us a comment, and subscribe to our channel. If you liked this episode and are listening on Spotify, Samsung Podcast, Amazon Music, or another podcast service. Please subscribe for more content and leave us a 5-star review, as it does help us reach more listeners like you. Tune in next Sunday for the story of SS Atlantic, the first huge loss for the White Star Line, and the worst maritime disaster at sea for her time. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time.